G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Foundations. God inspired the writers of yeah. Scripture to write about marriage. Mm-hmm. So then do we understand Scripture and then apply our own lives to the definitions of Scripture? Or do we simply say, oh, no, 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 Scripture's talking about what we know in, in our society? Right. Foundations. Understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. The necessity of understanding biblical culture is what we've been focusing on over the last few programs. And today we're going to be continuing this line of thought. We're going to look at why the differences between the people of the Bible and ourselves is important. The differences are actually really important because it helps us understand how they interpreted Scripture so that we don't misinterpret it from our own biases. Can I just say it's really, really easy to misinterpret something because of our biases. Mm. And our biases are come about just through our normal day-to-day living. Okay, mm-hmm. So it's understandable how it happens, but we kind of got to be alert to it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I know this seems like a no-brainer, but it's got to be emphasized because, you know, there's a lot of us today simply interpret the words of the ancients through a 21st century worldview, mm-hmm. again, because we're so steeped in our own culture. And even just the Eastern versus Western mindset is a huge difference, isn't it? Oh, it's like chalk and cheese. We've Mm. talked many times about the difference between a Hebrew mindset and a Greek mindset. You know, one's really literal and practical and one is all ethereal and spiritual and allegorical. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mindsets can be a trap. Yeah. Okay, so now I know I have used this example before, but words have uh, meanings and the same words used in different epochs of time can actually have very different meanings depending on the social outlook or the trends of the day. Now, an obvious word that we can all recognise has changed is the word gay. Mm. Because 75 years ago, and, and even long before that, the word gay, according to the history of it, arrived in the English language about the 12th century. And it's from an old French word that is spelt G-A-I. I'm assuming that is pronounced guy most likely deriving ultimately from a Germanic source. Mm -hmm. In English, the word's primary meaning was joyful, carefree, bright, showy. Mm -hmm. That was new to me. And the word was very commonly used with that meaning uh, in speech and literature. Well, there's a a well-known hymn that uses the word gay, and it's in that, obviously, in that context, it says, you know, we're happy and gay. And so that's just the, the sense of being joyful. This has got nothing to do with the Bible, but what about the ice cream, a gay time? Yeah. When that was invented, it was just meant about having a fun time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The word gay began to be sexualized in the 20th century. So it first came into use in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. Then in the 20th century, it was used with regard to prostitution and brothels. A gay man was known as a womanizer. Mm. And then a little later in the 20th century, a middle-aged bachelor was simply described as gay because he was carefree and unattached. No Mm, connotation to being uh, homosexual at all. The word gay was associated as living a hedonistic, uninhibited lifestyle. And the antonym, if you're not gay, you're straight, simply referred to someone living a very conventional, respectable Mm, life. Interesting. And the connection 
of the word gay to the homosexual lifestyle actually began in the 60s, 1960s, which most people would understand was the time that the sexual revolution took place. But it wasn't until the 80s and 90s that it was used to refer to somebody in a homosexual mm. lifestyle. Yeah. And now in the 2020s, the word gay pretty much refers to anybody within the LGBTQI and all the other yeah. letters of the alphabet, anybody yeah. not heterosexual. Mm-hmm. So I guess it just reinforces the fact that Words with meanings and definitions change over time, and that means it's really important to dig in to the original meanings and definitions of words used in the Bible so we understand the differences in those meanings in ancient times compared with our own time. Exactly, and this is this is where our trap falls in. If we don't dig into some of these original meanings, we can really come up with a very different view or understanding. And can I just say, there's another example. That's very recent for us, and that is the example of the word marriage. Mm. I mean, depending on which culture you live in, uh, which culture and heritage you stem from, they can have very different meanings. If you're from a Muslim background, this means a man can have up to four wives. Mm. If you're from a Hindu background, this can actually mean that you could marry an animal. Wow. I, I read an article about a man in India who actually stoned a couple of dogs to death and bad things started to happen to him and he thought that he'd brought a curse upon himself. So after uh, being counselled by a Hindu astronomer, he married a stray female dog to pay for his sins, hoping that the curse would lift. Oh, my goodness. That's apparently okay in Hinduism. Yeah. Wow. Um, there was a lady in the United States, a professional archer, ex-Air Force, who went through a commitment ceremony to marry the Eiffel Tower. Wow. Oh, I'm, I know you're looking at me and <laughs> yeah. you think you're making this up. This is No, I, I'm not. I'm dead serious. Right. Uh, the attraction to objects is known as objectum sexualis. It's a clinical condition, apparently. And after the ceremony, this lady changed her last name to Eiffel. Uh, since she is now married to the Eiffel Tower, it's not a marriage recognized by the French, mm. but she did try to get citizenship. I'm not, oh, I'm not joking. <laughs> she also claimed to have a 20-year relationship with the Berlin Wall. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking. This is, the problem is this is tragic, but it becomes an acceptable. Mm. Some of us, we're going, oh, you're joking. This couldn't yeah. happen. Yeah, it is. And that's then it right. becomes normalized. Well, that's it. And where we would often, you know, like, say, let's go back 100 years, we'd say marriage is between one man and one woman entered into for life. Well, these days, it's up for grabs. Anybody, Marry anybody, yeah, anything. Right. Or anything, yeah. Okay, so here's the next question. Over the next 10 years, see, marriage is now defined as anybody can marry anybody. Yeah. So what happens to new Christians in the next decade or the next two or the next three decades? They read the Bible and talk about marriage and they interpret it according to the culture they live in. Yeah. In 21st century Australia, what understanding are they going to have of marriage? Mm. Unless you actually dig into the actual scripture, what did marriage mean when God inspired Inspired the writers of yeah. Scripture to write about marriage. Mm-hmm. So then do we understand Scripture and then apply our own lives to the definitions of Scripture? Or do we simply say, oh, no, 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 Scripture's talking about what we know in, in our right. society. And that's why it's incredibly important that we have a solid, trustworthy Bible translation, why we need to study and learn about different biblical cultures and the language that was used in that time to ensure that we know exactly what God was telling his people to do because what he told them two, three, four thousand years ago about his standards and his ways, they haven't changed. And that's not necessarily very popular mm. <laughs> to say that yeah. because let's just be real. We as Christians, we, we want to fit into our society. We want to be liked and mm. we want the world to like us too. Yeah. 
But the truth is, is that the culture and the standards, the morals, the ethics, the view that the world has of humanity, society, all of those things is categorically different to that of the mm. world. That means we're going to be at odds with the world. doesn't mean we have to hate the world, isolate ourselves from the world. Not at all. But we're supposed to be a light. If we look like the world, sound like the world, talk like the world, waddle like the world, quack like the world, we are the world. That's right. So true. And we're supposed to be different. Mm. If the world is choking on itself Mm. and can't find hope, why would they look to the church if the church doesn't look any different to themselves? so true. An obvious verse that talks about this in Romans 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And can I just say, when it says to renew your mind, that means change my mind, not maintain my mind as it is, because exactly. my mind is corrupted. I've mm-hmm. got to change it so that it transforms yes. like, to the Word. So we line up with the Word, not the other way around. Absolutely. And of course, 1 Peter one fourteen talks about this as well. It says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Exactly. We used to be ignorant. But then when we dig into the word and we find out what God really wants of us, Mm. what his standards are at then, we can no longer claim ignorance, not anymore. And a great example of that is found in uh, the book of 2 Kings, where King Josiah, who's just a young boy, in fact, but uh, grew up in a culture that was quite hedonistic, didn't know any different. But then the people discovered the book of the law in the temple as they were doing a bit of a cleanup. And Josiah was just impacted by the reading of the law. He was just completely, you know, realized just how sinful they were and how you know God's judgment was going to fall on them and had a revival in their time because the law came in and actually caused that change to happen in their hearts. Well, their culture was, as you said, very hedonistic. It was very much like the cultures of all the different surrounding nations. But you're right, when he read the book of the law, he was shocked at how far removed they mm. were from God's standards. I would go so far as to say that in our culture, when we read scripture, because you, if we interpret it according to our own culture, we're not shocked by how different we are compared mm. to what Scripture says. Kind of like the frog in the pot, you the know. slow boil. Slow boil. He gets so used to the water that he doesn't realize when he's in danger of being boiled to death. Mm. We are so used to, in the, in the church, generally speaking, not all churches, I've got to be careful, but generally speaking, as Christians, we are so influenced by the culture of the Mm. world that we don't know it. That's right. Until we dig into Scripture, look at what biblical culture expects of Mm. us, and then we can go, like Josiah, I am really shocked. Yes. And I need to bring about some change. Well, we'll continue exploring this some more in our next program, looking at why biblical culture is so important. That's next time on Foundations. This has been Foundations, a look at the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. For study notes, resources and more, see vision.org.au slash foundations. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 